0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Hello, this is John Dorsey. How you doing, buddy boy? Don't be scared. What's
0: better than this? Guys, We are dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday edition of the show. We hope you had a safe and enjoyable Labor Day, but it's time to get back to the grind. Not that the grind never stopped, because we gave you the show yesterday. We were working on Labor Day, and we're going to keep working for you today with our segment Takes on Takes. Kyle. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Joe. I also labored at home. I painted my ceiling in my office on Labor Day, oh. so um, I'm happy to be back, nose to the grindstone, and uh, not rolling up my sleeves and getting paint all over myself.
0: How, how did that go? Now, because I've I've been in this room, I'm very concerned about a lot of things. First, the you know just the ability to turn in a productive, good looking job, but like. What did you do? Did you move everything out? Like, I mean, that sounds like a well, terrible what, way to spend your
1: labor. Day. What the hell is that supposed to me? Well, you're I, concerned with my ability to do a, a good looking job? You questioning my artisanship? Well,
0: I, no, I'm very concerned with my craftsmanship. And so I just label everybody the same in terms of DIY projects. I, I can't do this kind of stuff.
1: So um, I have a little roller with a rod on it. And I'm doing multiple coats. So I got the first coat up so it doesn't just look like uh, drywall. And then when they put the spackle over like the screw holes to keep the drywall in. So it's presentable uh, from afar. Like when we do Instagram live stuff and things of that nature, you're not going to be able to tell that I'm in an unfinished space, even though this space now is formally finished because I've done the floor, I've done the walls, I've done the ceiling. It's drywalled out. Um, it looks okay. It's a base coat. So I'm not, not too beat up if I missed any spots. Cause I'm going to go a little more thorough, but no, I moved nothing out, Joe. I was living dangerously. I painted a project. ceiling once. I painted a
0: ceiling one time in my life. I won't do it again. And the entire time I'm rolling it on the ceiling and little drops of paint are like splashing down on my face, getting on the floor. I, I, it was not a job for me. So I don't know how you overcame those obstacles. Maybe I just don't know what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, yeah, not something I want to do ever again in my life.
1: Well, you know what we do want to do? Talk ball. Talk about some football. <laughs>
0: yeah. nice Nobody tuned into out. this podcast to hear us talk about DIY projects. I guarantee that.
1: Well, maybe, maybe, but, uh, we're going to disappoint them cause we're moving on. Yeah. Joe, that game on uh, Sunday night sucked. Miami LSU. What a, yeah. what a disappointment.
0: Well, I mean, Malik Rogier is a terrible, terrible quarterback, and Miami's offensive line was crap. Uh, but from the LSU side of things, I mean, you've got to be excited about the way that defense looked. You've got to be excited that Joe Burrow, he didn't necessarily make a ton of plays, but he was really smart. He managed the game well. That's something LSU quarterback hasn't been able to do for years. And that running back looked good. I mean, there's some takeaways, but in terms of an entertainment value from a competitive football game, we der- we definitely didn't get that.
1: No, we did not. And you know what? I think I jinxed Rosier because in the first quarter sent out a tweet that was like, Hey, you know, Rosier's been pretty modest, but I've liked that he's had a calm demeanor about him thus far in the face of this fast LSU defense. And promptly every possession after that, it just went completely off the rails. I'd like to give Miami fans, a formal apology for uh, giving Rozier something of a compliment in the first quarter while that game was still competitive and uh, only to see the wheels completely fall off the bus. So I do take some responsibility for that.
0: Don't let it happen again, Kyle. One positives for the Hurricanes, though. Gerald Willis the third man, he had a game, dude. Eight tackles, four for loss, a sack, a pass breakup, and the LSU offensive line had no answer for him. And he's a player that If you read my preseason scouting report, I definitely had some positive things to say about how he could have a monster season if you put it all together because his talent, his ability to get in the backfield is very evident. But he's had such a troubled past. He went to University of Florida. He was the guy that uh, took the cheap shot on Jameis Winston, uh, was suspended multiple times, winds up transferring to Miami. The things don't really get better at Miami. He winds up taking a leave of absence after several disciplinary issues, sat out the entire 2017 season, uh, but he's back. The coaches are raving about him, and he could not be blocked by LSU. So look for him to be a riser. Obviously, teams are going to have to be comfortable with you know, his background, his 2014 through 2017. Not ideal, sir but his, uh, his last six months, he got the Defensive Leadership Award over the summer. He uh, is getting very positive reviews from Manny Diaz and Mark Richt, and obviously the way he played against LSU sheds some light on the type of player he can be. If that continues, he's going to be a big-time riser.
1: Yeah, it was nice to at least have a positive takeaway. I thought uh, Dallas, the running back, looked pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some, some nice patience pressing the line of scrimmage, but Uh, offensively just a a rough night overall for Miami and defensively I was underwhelmed with the linebackers you know Joe this this may not be a surprise to you as somebody (laughs) who put these guys under a microscope over the course of the summer but you know I came in with high hopes in this game I thought this would be a good test and you know Pickney and and Quarterman these guys are physical but they just couldn't get to their spots with consistency and uh, it really hurt him with some of these gouging runs that LSU had that kind of popped the game wide open.
0: No doubt about it, Kyle.
1: Takes on takes. You ready for it? Takes on takes. Let's do it. All right. Uh,
0: shall we start? What's this going order? We've got, what, five to get to here? Let's yeah. go in order here. I'll, I'll lead off with this. Uh, Camden Elliott says the Hall of Fame game should be the first game of the regular season. Uh, I don't – I'm not good with that. Um the Hall of Fame game should be the first game of the preseason, but it should be part of week one, like the entire rest of the the league, right? You should only have four preseason games, and the teams that play in the Hall of Fame game should not play five because it throws off the entire balance of things. Like week three is always that dress rehearsal, but if you play the team in the Hall of Fame game in week three, it's week four for them, and so you don't really get that starter-on-starter showcase now should we reduce the preseason yeah absolutely but for the sake of this take get rid of the hall of fame game in terms of it being an additional game for the participants
1: listen you can fit more people in that stadium in canton than you can fit where the la Chargers are playing this year i think this is a cool idea i would love to see them start off the season with a hall of fame induction preceded by a legitimate football game with that said i don't think logistics wise that's realistic until that stadium gets massive overhaul, they would have to put a lot of money and effort into making that a playable surface field of you know do you remember what was it two or three years ago like it got so hot that it like melted the paint on the field and they had to like cancel the game or something Yeah, So uh, I I think if you upgraded those facilities, that would be a cool novel idea that I wouldn't mind seeing put into play. But uh, as of right now, I don't think it's a realistic idea, but it is an idea that I saw. My eyebrow went up and I said, yeah, I think that'd be a a really nice thing for us to try and shoot for someday. So you're okay with that?
0: Like, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. All right. So neutral site game. At a high school stadium? Joe, I know they you-
1: send games they send regular season games to London. Yeah, and I don't Who like the. Who the hell cares if it's in Ohio?
0: The, the, I love the way that it is right now. It's Super Bowl champions. Host host a game on Thursday night. Get this thing started. That's the way I like it.
1: Make the teams with the top two picks play in the in the Hall of Fame game to start the season. You uh, They could uh, play they could play on on like a a Monday night. Right, then NFL team could play on Thursday night, and then the rest of the teams play on Sunday night, and then those two teams that played on Sunday get like week eleven buys or something like that.
0: Me, yeah. I don't know, man. All
1: right. Didn't teach. teacher. Sorry. Let's talk about Zach. Right. Zach has a take for us. Yeah. One of the three rookie wide receivers in Green Bay becomes an All Pro. So, Joe, can you name those players off the top of your head?
0: Uh, um, no, but if you uh, let my producer have just a second here. Uh, we Go will, right ahead. We will be able to.
1: Scantling uh, is one, right?
0: Yeah, Mar- yeah Valdez Scantling is definitely one of them. All right, you ready? Right, here it is. I've got it in front of me. Uh, those receivers are Jamon Moore, wide receiver, Missouri. He was their fourth-round pick. Mark- Marquez Valdez Scantling, fifth-round pick from South Florida and Equinemius St. Brown, a six-round pick from Notre Dame. So the question is if any of them can be an all-pro?
1: That's correct. All right, go ahead. No. (laughs) Next question.
0: If there's silver lining, though, right? Aaron Rodgers is throwing the football, so you you never know. But, I mean, those guys are day three picks. Scantling has some speed. Equinemius St. Brown is a decent route runner with – some pretty good ball skills, but there's a reason he got pushed so far down the board. There's some concerns about him being a bit of a prima donna. And then Jamon Moore, he doesn't catch football with consistency, but he can kind of stretch the field, but he's not overly fast. Yeah, I don't know about this being an all-pro, uh, any one of them being an all-pro at all. Mike says, uh, Will Greer, is that's a West Virginia quarterback for those who don't know, is only the third best prospect on West Virginia's offense. So, obviously, he's putting David Sills, Gary Jennings, Yannicka uh potentially two out of those three ahead of him in terms of NFL prospects. I don't think that's true. Um, I think Yannicka Joost might be their best offensive prospect. I like him a ton. He's super smooth as a pass blocker, really long arms, really does a good job of keeping uh, rushers at the end of his reach. He's so in control. His feet move. Like, I love him as a pass blocker. Doesn't have a whole lot of power in the run game, but if you're playing zone, I like him a lot. But then I think it's Will Greer. Like, I don't think either one of those receivers are a better prospect than Will Greer. And unless there's a a player that I'm not thinking of on this offense, Will Greer's definitely not the third best. He's one or two.
1: Yeah, you can make a a nice argument for Kajus to be the top prospect on West Virginia's offense. Um. I like Gary Jennings. I like Gary Jennings more than I like David Sills. Yeah, same. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like from a – I guess for Mike's question, is it will they get drafted to be the third prospect or second prospect or will people value them? Like will people rate them as the third or second prospect? So for me – on my big board, I can guarantee you Greer will be one or two. But if you're looking at you know, who will have higher draft capital and who will ultimately go on to have the more successful NFL career, um, if you think Greer's style of play doesn't translate and maybe Gary Jennings gets on a team and is a, a wide receiver three or wide receiver four, then yeah. I mean, if Greer flames out and somebody's on a team for six, seven, eight years – Technically, you could say he's the third best prospect. But um, for me, it's Kajust and Greer. Right now, you'd have to flip a coin. I haven't settled on either one of those two. So I do disagree with Mike's State, but it's an interesting question because depending on your perspective, you could find it differently.
0: We get a West Virginia question every week, don't we? <laughs> it's, Love it. It's, it's something Love else, that man. football
1: team. Love that football team. So Dan Carey. Joe, we're going to talk about your quarterback. This is why you queued these up this way, so you could tackle this question first. I'm going to give it to you. All right. Uh, Nathan Peterman was named the starting quarterback of the Buffalo Bills on Monday, Labor Day. Dan says it's a terrible move. Lost developmental time for Josh Allen. First mistake made by the Bills. Who cares about Peterman? I love my Bills, but other than injury, I want Peterman out. Throw another five interceptions. Whatever to get Josh Allen in. Your reaction to that is what?
0: Uh, My reaction is that I think Sean McDermott's choice to go with Nathan Peterman as a starting quarterback is the right choice. Uh, There's three main reasons. Number one, Nate Peterman was the best quarterback this preseason. He had a really good preseason, um, and he moved the offense, and he didn't make mistakes with the football and kept things on schedule, which is exactly the kind of player I kind of thought he could be coming out of Pitt. Uh, Number two, the Bills' first three games are against the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Vikings. I am not trotting out Josh Allen against those defenses in his first taste of NFL action with, obviously, who those teams have personnel-wise on defense and the guys coaching those defenses, but also because of what Buffalo has on offense. Offensive line is crap. People probably, I mean, one of the worst two or three receiving cores in the NFL. I mean, LaShawn McCoy is a good football player. He's running back. And he's, you know, he's, out, you know, he's pushing 30 now. Charles Clay's okay. But, like, the supporting cast combined with the defenses they face, not necessarily where I want to put Josh Allen into with his first, first taste of NFL action, especially considering those concerns coming from Wyoming was, does Josh have it between the ears? Well, we're not going to find out in those three games for sure. I get the, I, the concept of wanting to play Josh Allen and seeing what you have, but give the kid a chance to succeed against those defenses with the Bills personnel is not giving him any chance to succeed. There's no rush here. Buffalo backed into the playoffs last year. It was fun. It was great. It's awesome to end the skid. But this is a process here to get this team where it needs to be, and it's nowhere close. So uh, Josh Allen, clearly the future in terms of what they drafted him to be, but putting him out right away is not a mistake. It's not a terrible move, and it's the right decision.
1: Yeah, I don't know when it became so – what's the word I'm looking for? like blasphemous to sit a rookie quarterback. Right. Yep. Like even if you don't have something in place and if you take a quarterback high nine times out of 10, you don't have a rookie in place anyway. That's why you're taking, or that's why you don't have a quarterback in place. That's why you're taking quarterback high. So I would actually be more of a proponent to, you know, kind of see where the bills go. If Nathan Peterman bless him, has to be the sacrificial lamb here, then let's get him through the first month of the season and then evaluation period can start. Joe, you made a great point talking about the first three games on that schedule. That's a stiff, stiff test. So uh, if you don't want to throw Josh Allen to the Wolves, and we saw what that pass protection looked like on Josh Allen's start in the third preseason game, then this is a move that, makes sense. I'm not upset about it, uh, but I am typically a proponent of letting a rookie quarterback fail forward. You know, if they have the mental fortitude to be a successful, highly successful quarterback in the NFL, they're going to be able to come the over uh, adverse challenges that come with learning on the job. You know, if playing and playing in adverse conditions breaks you young, then you never had it anyway, that's kind of how I feel so uh I think this is probably more of a protect Josh from a physical perspective with these first couple of games than it is necessarily uh protecting him mentally from himself
0: right because that I mean Josh, good God, you talk about a guy that's been criticized over the last year to eight you know sixteen months or so it's him. I don't worry about him in terms of the mental side. I just want him to have a chance, right? And I agree, like, you know, would you say, "fail forward? I kind of like that term a lot. And allowing him to kind of play through those issues, man. Peyton Manning threw 155 interceptions his first season in the league. You know, you kind of want to get it all out. And there will come a point in time this year where Josh Allen's going to see the field. But I just don't think it's right away. And it's interesting, right? This rookie quarterback class, five first-round picks, Four of them are sitting week one, right? I I believe Sam Darnold's the only one starting right away. So, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger kind of ruined it for everyone when it comes to not sitting quarterbacks, but they're not all Carson Wentz. And he even struggled initially and and improved throughout the course of the season. But, you know, it doesn't come immediately. And uh, I don't have any problems with Sean McDermott's decision to start Nate Peterman right off the bat here. All right, we got one more, right, Kyle? Do you have any more thoughts on Josh Allen here, or we can move on? No, I'm good. I've talked about Josh. I'm going to give this one to you, Kyle. Travis Laver says, Mississippi State has the best defensive line in all of college football. Before you dig into this, I want to say this. Uh, We really appreciate everybody who gives us takes on takes takes for us to respond to when we send out the tweet and stuff like that. But Travis sent this to us midweek last week. And so if you ever have a take, in the middle of the week or something hey wonder what Kyle and Joe think about that hit us up with that hashtag takes on takes and add either Kyle or I and uh, we'll get to it so thanks Travis for thinking about us uh during the week here and sending this over to us so Kyle does Mississippi State have the best defensive line in all of college football
1: they've got a really 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 good defensive line do they have the best defensive line that's that's a bit rich for me. So I look across the landscape and I see Clemson, who I think is head and shoulders above above everybody else. But it's for depth specifically. You know, I do think Mississippi State's best two players, uh, Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons, are comparable to what you get with the best two players on Clemson's defensive line in Cleveland Farrell and Christian Wilkins. Uh, I think Simmons is better than Sweat. I think Farrell is better than Wilkins. So it's an interesting. Interesting thought to kind of stop and think, and if you value elite players more, maybe you'd prefer Mississippi States. But, Joe, if I'm looking across the whole front, you can give me Clemson over Mississippi State, but that's a really good line.
0: Yeah, it is good. What about Ohio State, Kyle? How do they fit into this? I know they have Landers and Bosa and Jones. I mean, um, feel like they're definitely in this conversation. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going Clemson. And I think Dexter Lawrence is a player that – I think he can be a lot better this year. He played with a foot injury all year and uh, last year. And so there's a lot of optimism for him being a, you know, a better player this coming season and Austin Bryant, he may not be the best prospect in the NFL, but he's a good college football player. So uh, I think Clemson and Ohio state are probably better than Mississippi state, but I love giving some love to Mississippi state's defensive line because Simmons and sweat are two players that I think are probably top 20 talents in this coming class.
1: So, Joe, you mentioned Ohio State. I do want to give a shout to Chase Young, uh, number two. Uh, He is the next beast on this defensive line for Ohio State. He's a true sophomore, so he's not relevant for our purposes for the 2019 NFL Draft, but he's a freak athlete, and uh, you got to finally see him get out from behind the depth that they had there in uh, Columbus uh, for this first game that Ohio State played against Oregon State, and Really excited to see that. We're really excited to continue to bring you takes on Draft Dudes this week. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Follow along with us. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, you enjoy the show concepts, make sure you let us know. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. You can get after us on Twitter. Joe is at the Joe Mourinho. I'm at grinding the tape. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Kyle Krabs signing off with Joe Mourinho. And thanks for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast.